Okay, uh, welcome to Reactive. This is episode one, because our first episode was episode zero, because we're programmers. And um, yeah, so uh, I'm Khalil, Distilled Hype on Twitter, and I'm with here with, I'm here with, actually, with uh, Henning. Hey, how's it going? I am H. Gladdergoth on Twitter. That's right. And uh, so we're missing one person today, actually, Raquel, who um, is a fixed co-host in the show. She is not here today because she is, and let me just quote, a hacker in residence at the Recourse Center, formerly known as Hacker School, in New York City this week. And she's working uh, with students, basically letting them ask ask her any questions they have, uh, whether it's about Node, NPM, JavaScript, robots, Notebots, baking, knitting, speaking, testing, all that good stuff. So, uh, yeah, she's going to have a lot of fun over there. And that's very cool that she's having Yeah, she out. is having a lot of fun. I've seen quite a few pictures and uh, tweets from that event. So looks like she's having a good time. Awesome. So, yep. yeah. So we're sending our greetings to New, New York. York. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay, so but we're committed to doing the show every week, so we're doing it without her today. So, all right. Um so you you had something very interesting you wanted to talk about. That was hacking cars and planes. So what how did yeah. that even come up for you? Um well, as usual, it was a tweet. Um it was a link to a Wired magazine article and it described how two hackers basically had this wired journalist um, driving a Jeep on a highway and they give him the instructions to go on the highway and not panic. And they would not tell him what they would do to the car. Um, but they basically were sitting at their house, probably 10 miles away, I think is what they said. And they um, pretty much uh, hacked into the Jeep over the wireless system. So the cell system that is and started uh, doing things to the car. I think the first thing was just to um, turn up the stereo to full blast and, and uh, you know, basically blow his ears out. Um, but that then basically went to um, shutting his engine off on the highway. Wow. And, um, yeah, so he freaked out a little bit. And I was quite amazed that you would be able to do that um, by hacking into the car and they had explained it that it was through the entertainment system so there was quite a bit of uh, reverse engineering going on there i guess that took them quite some time but still that they basically were able to call into the car and through the entertainment system access all the vital systems of the vehicle what they did later is um basically disable the brakes i didn't even know i don't even know why you can do such a thing but <laughs> i guess everything now is, is you know like in the airplanes that it's sort of fly-by-wire, that there's no actual direct mechanical connection between the, the brake pedal and the, the brake system. It's all mm. just, you know, wires, so and all computerized. So I guess it's not too far-fetched that you can just turn it off. That's very and, unsettling. Um, that's insane. I mean, yeah, so they, they're working on even steering the car. I guess that right now they said they can only do it when the car is in reverse for some reason. But, um, yeah, anything that's... Uh, vital to the vehicle they can access and um similar things are going on with airplanes um i don't know if this guy got arrested now but he basically uh figured out a way how to access 
jet airliners. Um, he would plug himself or his laptop into um, an underseat entertainment system unit, and he could then basically inspect um, network traffic going through the plane. And he claims, I don't think this is this is substantiated, but he claims that he was able to lower the altitude of the the airplane by doing something to the engines. And there again, basically going in through the entertainment system, which, uh, yeah, it's just a little creepy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I guess it's it's not, maybe not surprising because, you know, things are, as they said in the article, you know, the car manufacturers are desperately trying to turn the car into a smartphone. And yeah. once you do that, then it's wide open. So, well... Yeah, there is this whole issue of the uh, sort of, so to speak, Internet of Things, um, where there's just huge security issues because it's mostly uh, hardware. How do you call it? Uh, hardware um, companies and teams that build hardware that come up with their own kind of protocols for for. Um, wireless communication and a lot of those uh, companies they don't really think about security apparently like they just uh, communicate in plain text um, over the air and of course it's some there's there's it's code that they're sending around but it's not so difficult to to reverse engineer um, often and uh, I guess There hasn't been enough issues yet uh, about that, but yeah, there definitely there definitely needs to be some sort of a standardization and um, there's like security hardwired in all of that stuff. It's, yeah, uh, I mean they have an additional problem even when when the security flaws are discovered and they they come up with a patch for it, you know, by by creating a new version of the firmware that fixes the problem. How do you get that firmware onto these? devices you know even if they're internet connected usually um the bandwidth might not be enough to do all this kind of stuff and it probably would require some kind of action by the owner or the user and who's gonna you know mm -hmm. go and put new firmware on their light bulbs you know but that yeah. could be an entry point into your house if you don't do it you yeah know? <laughs> exactly yeah and there's uh, like actually there was um in one of the talks of JS that was about the Internet of Things. They were saying basically, but just owning a couple of those super smart uh, or uh, not so super smart, but you know, uh, basically uh, so-called smart uh, light bulbs from Siemens or whatever that are state-of-the-art kind of light bulbs that you can that you can um, uh, Use that you can use in those kind of uh, smart homes and stuff like that. Uh, they're sending a lot of information to to the servers of the company that they're that 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 built them basically. So t theoretically, those companies can find out you know about when you're home, when you're going to sleep, how many rooms you have, how how big your home is approximately, and all these kind of things. Wonderful. <laughs> Yeah. So, and that's just light bulbs, you know. Yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah. It's very. It's this is very very uh, weird and still early days. It seems um, when it comes to those. Yeah, it's a whole new class of, of problem, basically. And 
I mean, it, I think it's fascinating and it sounds like so much fun, but you have to, you know, take a step back and think about what the consequences could be if yeah. you start putting that stuff in your house. And I mean, the car thing, that's, that's to me is totally unsettling that they have, you know, that kind of, I mean, I guess the average person couldn't do it, but, you know, that's not who's who's messing with this stuff. So if it's possible, somebody will find out. And I think they were saying that they were going to release certain um, steps of how to, to basically do this. This is all, I think the chip that they're, or the device that they're talking about is, is something that is um, used by Jeep and uh, Fiat, I believe. So that's in, you know, hundreds of thousands of cars that are on the road right now. Mm-hmm. And they... <laughs> They can shut your car down if they want to. It's crazy. That's insane. Yeah. It's, it's so, that, that kind of technology is still so immature, it seems. Uh, my my yeah. brother actually, he did uh, like a research because he's an art, architect. So he, he had the, uh, for some project, he had to research smart homes and, you know, uh dumb homes he called it i think <clears throat> and something in the middle and uh what was most intriguing was was the whole uh, dumb home thing which is which just uses basically no electricity no internet no smart home gadgets and stuff like that but implements a lot of you know knowledge that has been accumulated over and matured over the last couple of decades i guess about how to basically make a low energy house and you know just have actually i think you have like a house that would constantly have 20 degrees celsius in there or 20 20 25 or 23 something like that constantly it doesn't matter if it's winter or summer because of how it's built and how the air flows through it and how it, you know, takes the warmth from the earth and all kinds of stuff like that. That just sounds so amazing. And you can do all that stuff today and it's pretty mature from, from, and that's, I think that's much more fascinating because it's also something that is much more durable, you know, than the smart home smart, or at least, you know, the, the kind of electric electronic, um, the gadgets in the smart home because all those things are very new and you don't know how fast they break and what the maintenance cost is of all of that. And, uh, yeah, I'm actually surprised at how much, um, p people might be missing actually, um, by just focusing on, on the fancy stuff. Well, but I think probably the majority of people don't, you know, take that, or they don't even know to take that extra step to think about what this means. I mean, if you think about people's behavior on the internet, you know, everybody has, you know, probably a hundred or 200 online accounts today. And, you know, the majority of people have the same password and username on every one of those accounts. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's those kind of things. And, and they don't even know that there is this, this opportunity for this problem to occur, you know, so yeah. you can't really blame the people. So it's, it's really, I don't know. It's, it's a big, big problem in my opinion. Yeah. 
Speaking of smart things, I discovered something very smart. Actually, you told me about it. It's uh, yeah. So it's, basically, uh, this is a follow-up. Uh, yeah, yeah, here. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm I, I'm not going to say it out loud, but I don't use them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing, no. ladies yeah, and gentlemen. I, <laughs> we got um, a Vim so, user off of Vim. That's amazing, and it well, only took it's one not, episode not, of Reactive. Entirely true. <laughs> I. Uh, so I, I went and followed your advice and I got myself a PHP Storm and um, I am highly impressed with that IDE mm-hmm. and how it, basically what I mean by that mostly is performance because it is, it's an IDE and like most of these tools, it's extremely complex and there's tons and tons and tons of stuff to, to learn. So it's, uh feels kind of like starting over. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm using it in BIM mode so I can keep a lot of the things that I know, um, from just basic pure text editing. That's, doesn't go away, but I, I feel like I gain, um, you know, an enormous amount of, of, um, productivity by using this. So I bought it Well, I didn't buy it. I got, I actually won it, uh, as I said in the last show and I got my coupon and I got the license for it, but I certainly will, I would I would have paid for that too. It's like a hundred bucks or something. Mm-hmm. Definitely would have paid for it. It's certainly worth it. And uh, yeah, I'll keep you posted on how it goes. Yeah. So, so how is it, how is it helping you though? Like what is the, what is it, what, what, what sold you on it? Well, the, the, the main thing I was lacking in BIM was context aware, um, code completion or just help mm-hmm. or just, you know, because PHP is a dynamic language, jumping to, for example, the declaration of a class doesn't always work. Um, things like that. Basically, it knows everything about my code base and how things work together for the most part. And um, the code completion is not only, you know, uh, the content of it is good, but the performance is insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would compare it to something like I saw in in Visual Studio, you know, I was mm-hmm. very worried about that, but there's no... You mean, you mean how fast is it, it is? Yes, okay. it's that fast, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, le- leaps and bounds above things like, you know, NetBeans from four or five years ago, of course, but yeah. um, I'm impressed. Very cool. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so but, but you're still using it in Vim mode, so you didn't... Yeah, yeah, that's... that's so in spirit, you're still using Vim somehow. Yes, but. and and I have to say... You know, I, I once you get away from it or you, you use something else, you realize how much is in muscle memory because I'm doing all these things that don't work now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's you don't even think about them. It's just, you know, your fingers do it and then it doesn't work, which is kind of frustrating. But um, I'm still early, but I think I think I'm going to stick with that, especially for, for PHP. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. Yes. So... The end of single page apps. What is this about? You put that in the list. Yeah, I, I started. Um, so there was this conference, uh, Wicked Good Ember, um, which sounded really, really awesome. Uh, it was in Boston, I believe. But uh, I started watching videos uh, of that because I am trying to get better at Ember. And I stumbled across the keynote. And uh, the title was very interesting to me, which basically states the end of single-page apps. And so he was, this was Chris C. or Tse, 
say. And he was basically standing in front of an Ember developer audience saying that the time for single-page apps has passed. Um, but what he really meant by that is he gave a really very passionate and, and funny um, description of how things have evolved from pre-internet until today and what the the user experience, and this from the user point of view, so what the user experience was when there were only desktop applications and what kind of mechanisms there were to share um, documents between applications. Basically things were, or still are of course, are document centric. So you can, you know, paste, cut and paste something or cut something out of Word and put it in Excel and vice versa. And depending on where you take it from and where you put it, um, you know, it will use different types of uh, um, quality of of the source. So, you know, if it understands how to actually put an entire Excel um, uh, set of, of um, you know, or a subset of a table into a Word document, it will do that. Otherwise, it could default down to maybe, you know, an image, an SVG or a, or a a JPEG or something like that. Uh, so depending on what what the capabilities of the receiving application are, it will figure out what to put in. But the whole point of this was that productivity of a user is basically um, sort of defined by or given by the interaction between applications. And we as web developers, we sort of see our application as the world and we have the user data basically locked away in most cases where the user can't really get at it or export it into anything else, even if he can take it, he or she can take it with them or download it, chances are that you can't really do much with it. Mm-hmm. So what he was advocating is that we need to basically get to the point that you know desktop applications were 22 years ago. That's the number I have in my head. Where if you wanted to, you know, you have an Ember app and a React app, for example, and you create something with your Ember app. The example was some sort of advertisement that you create that in your Ember app and then you basically cut it um, from your Ember app and you want to paste it into a React app to do something else to it. That all should work. Mm-hmm. And um, he's basically working on this. This, and I think he started a foundation for it. Um, I don't know, obviously, it was... Not not in very much detail, and I don't remember uh, that much of the details that he did mention, is on how this actually is supposed to work. But he's trying to get this to work for web applications, um, which just you know sounded fascinating. But what what really got me is just he it was a really funny talk, and he you can see he's like totally on fire. And things talks like that are just I enjoy them a lot. So. Um, I can highly recommend that. We'll put a link in the show notes. Sounds cool. Yeah. yeah. Definitely going to check that out. Yeah. So then, uh, yeah, our next topic, that sort of, I guess, I should have mentioned when I was talking about Vim, but um, I was basically, I just came to this realization that uh, I, again, need to be, <laughs> I'm feeling a little stupid at the moment. and But what what I mean by that is that there's, um, a lot of new things at the moment that I, you know, I figured that I figured out that I am just confronted with many, many new things at this point. Um, the whole Vim thing, that's, yeah, that's funny, but it is actually a big, big change. Um, I have quite a few new projects at work that I need to deal with at the same time. Mm. And, um, 
trying to learn Ember on the side or now maybe a little more seriously for um, uh, our new project and then dealing with this this API thing that I talked about last time. So there's a lot of new things to be learned and I sort of just, you know, got sort of kicked on my ass. There's like tons and tons of stuff that I don't know mm. and it's, it's an uncomfortable place to be in, you know. Um, I know it's a very common place in our industry, but I just, at the moment, it's, um, yeah. Sometimes it's, it's more, sometimes it's less, right? Exactly, exactly. Right now, it's more and more. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a similar place um, because I'm kind of researching ways how, how um, we can make, so we're going to, at work, we're going to write a pretty big Angular app. And I'm trying to figure out ways how to make um, the code as simple and straightforward as possible for for us to write and find a structure that we can just repeat, you know, um, throughout the application for for most of the features, um, if possible. And so I'm looking into, you know, I'm looking into maybe using Flux architecture with Angular. Because that gives you this whole this unidirectional data flow and and the whole feature, how I understand it, one of the biggest features of that is that any developer that joins the project or wants to write a feature for the project has to think in exact in in the, the exact same way you know as other developers that wrote other features, so every feature is implemented in the the data flows in the same way for every feature. And it just takes a lot of de decisions away. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, ways how to make those things to, to kind of find conventions that make stuff simple. And, and so I'm trying to amass as much knowledge as possible about different ways to do this. And um, so I'm, for instance, also looking at <clears throat> centralized state for the application as an interesting... So that also kind of comes out of... I think Ohm and um, you know immutable data, and then there's this standalone library called Baobab. I think it's. I don't oh know yeah, I saw to... a tweet about that today from you. Yeah. yeah. So that was that looks pretty interesting, and lots of lots of that, and reactive programming is also in the mix, and observables, and and all this kind of stuff, and it's all uh, there's a lot of new information for me personally, and. I'm just in the same, like, there's so much, like, I'm trying to get all this stuff in my head, but <laughs> it's really hard. And it's, yeah, I feel a little stupid uh, yeah. as well. But I think it's then. just um, a lot of it has to do with recognizing where you're at and yeah, just being okay with that because it's, there's nothing you can do about it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's maybe not a constant state for us. I mean, there are periods of time where you know you're just knocking out code based on what you know and you're an expert in that particular field but mm. then come these times where you just you're knee deep in, in crap i guess and you have no idea what's going on so yeah i think there's a good way maybe to deal with this yeah be okay with feeling stupid but also kind of kind of uh draw yourself a little path out of the you know out of the the mud or whatever you want right. to call it and you know, and just and just soldier through. You know, yep. if, as long as so that you just don't feel overwhelmed, and you exactly. just you know have like a, yep. a system to go about it. Yeah, 
yeah so basically uh so that, that leads into um i wanted to uh jafar hussein who i wanted to talk about a little bit he is uh, working at netflix he's like the tech lead there for across multiple projects and uh so as far as i understand it he um he has been working at microsoft before for a bunch of years and he's been doing uh reactive programming on the back end and the front end for around six years he's also on the es6 um team like the tc39 team um and working on on the javascript standard and yeah he has a bunch of incredible talks online uh on youtube you can find like how basically how uh netflix works how they how they model their backend and their api and how they work with reactive uh, extensions in javascript in the front end and there's just a few of those things where basically because of reactive extensions they can model any like events and stuff that happens in the ui as um collections and then do functional functional you know programming with it and it makes certain things that would take a lot of uh, a lot of complicated kind of awkward programming really really easy and there's a few just examples in those talks that that are just a little mind-blowing and but it's uh it's also it's yeah it's it's a challenge to if you have never thought about it and like you're just learning it this is there it's hard to get to wrap your mind around it and uh but but he's definitely a very interesting very uh well spoken and um you know very knowledgeable guy he he also was on the javascript java podcast um and he was talking about the future of javascript and he was explaining es6 basically es6 features and that did this like rapid question uh section or something like that and that was really amazing how he just they just went went through the different features of es6 and he had to explain them really quickly and he did a really really amazing and job saying which version that they're available so and which version and and he also said which version of uh ecmascript that they would come out in oh, okay yeah yeah it was nuts yeah, he just did a really good job at it and was really I was very impressed. Yeah, based on based on that interview, that's the only time I've actually heard him speak. Mm-hmm. Um I would definitely want to go back and and watch some of those videos because yeah, very eloquent, can explain things really well and is super passionate. <laughs> yeah, he's very passionate about especially reactive programming and uh yeah so i definitely recommend you know watch his his talks it's pretty really good yeah maybe you can put a few of those in the show notes yeah for sure cool right right, you said uh there were some awkward tweets yeah so i had some so basically um this was a subject that didn't make it into the last episode uh raquel brought it up like you know, if we should talk about the net awards, and then I saw some. I think I saw somebody tweet about it again, or I just thought it, thought about it in general. I don't know because I what I had. To, so when I hear the the net awards, which are some sort of, uh, so I think there's the net magazine or something like that, or online magazine, and they every year they get the community to vote on you know, young developer of the year and 
developer of the year or application of the i don't know technology of the i don't even know the categories but a bunch of categories when it comes to web de web development and front-end development and stuff like that and <clears throat> and i i just uh, observed something that that i found um a little interesting um as soon as there were a bunch of people that that i follow that were nominated for the awards for the net awards and um and the tone and they all or some of them tweeted about it and the tweets always had a weird tone to them right so it was always like um wow uh i got so so just was always i got apparently i got nominated for the net awards I guess you can like if you feel like if you really if you can't hold yourself back you can vote for me here and then there's a link you know <laughs> so this is always kind of the because it's <clears throat> there's this weird discrepancy because most most uh, developers I guess they watch they're trying to be humble they want to be humble they are maybe also or they they are just humble you know but they also feel they kind of feel um excited that they were nom nominated and kind of you know recognized as maybe somebody who is you know important to follow or you know p you know somebody to pay attention to by this by this whole award um thing going on but at the same time they have like this super hard time to say Hey, I'm really excited about this. I, I would we, it would mean the world to me if you could just vote for me or something like that. You know, so they don't come out and say that. They're just like doing it's like of oh, beating around the bush. Yeah, it's just like you know, it's just not one or the other. It's like well, you know, they they wanted they tweet out the link and say that they're nominated, but they're kind of playing it down. You know. And this is just this. This is what I meant with awkward net awards tweets that I've been seeing, and I just think it's a, uh, it's it's a little weird, and it definitely completely holds me back from ever clicking clicking on any of those links because it's just so it feels so uncomfortable for them to be nominated, and so uncomfortable, and they're not really asking for you know any votes. At least I didn't see anybody really flat out saying like, "Look, I've been nominated. I'm proud about. Th I'm proud, you know, of this, and um, I'm excited. Would be awesome if you could vote for me." Didn't see one tweet like that. If somebody yeah. would do that, I would go ahead. I would like, "Hey, no problem. I have your back. I'll vote for you. No problem." But when I get those, when I see those tweets, like, yeah, I guess if you know, if you, if you really feel like you have to vote, you know, you can't do it here. <laughs> So <laughs> how how does this whole thing work? Is is the nomination process by vote also or does some body or organization nominate people and things? That's a good question. I have actually no idea how okay. that works. Yeah, because I would think that's I mean who who has the authority to say who should be in what category and nominated, etc. But I guess that's the same with all award shows, you know. Yeah. Well, maybe I guess maybe they there's well, we would have we would have to research that. I I really don't know. Maybe it's people from the net magazine that 
that that basically try to find you know suitable yeah. people. I hadn't even heard of that until you guys brought it up. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Actually, yeah, I would like to find out. Maybe I've, I will follow up uh, next okay. next cool. week with how net awards work. Yeah. <laughs> and we can see what Raquel has to say. And about I definitely, those. I definitely want to. You know, if any uh, any people who are um, nominated or i guess this is already over i guess but if if anybody gets nominated you know like if you want i'm just gonna say like if you want my vote i'm happy to vote for you but uh but then state that you want a vote be direct be direct just and be happy that you've been nominated because hey it's a cool thing you know and don't you know or don't tweet about it like (laughs) okay (laughs) because because otherwise like it's just weird. <laughs> All or nothing, right? Well, or I mean, if if you if you get off on on being weird, then you can also tweet about it like this half-ass way. Like, this <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I guess I don't know. I I just think I just think it would be cool if just somebody would say, "Hey, you know what? This is awesome. Vote for me. I'm great." You know, <laughs> at least yeah, I think that's I, not in most people's nature, probably. I mean, you know, you can do it. You can do it with, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, you don't, it's not serious. You know, I don't mean, yeah, it's, I know it's not, you know, but it would be funny to, to, to actually do it in that yeah. way. It's not that serious, but it would at least be kind of, uh, clear, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be good. All right. Um, and then, so, so the last subject is going to be a short show today because uh, we're only two people. And, uh, and we already di- actually did a show today, right? We did Descriptive with yeah. uh, Robin Ward. So that was oh, pretty it's cool. super late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, we're definitely, we're, we're doing it and we're hustling. So I think that, that brings us to the end already. Yeah, it does. Yep. For sure. Yeah, Time cool. to go get a cool beverage. It's so hot here, man. It's crazy. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. Hottest July on record. Yeah. For Germany. All yeah, right. and I hope that next next time, next week, uh well I, I I'm not only hoping, I mean we so Raquel said she's gonna be back, I think, next yep. week, right? Yeah, so yeah, I'm looking forward to having her back on the show. Um and uh yeah, we'll 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 talk next week. Sounds good. Cool.